Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Tom, how are you? Um, <laughs> I'm very well, thank That's you. That's good, man, Tom. I'm just, uh, I don't know what you're writing about this week, but I was writing about uh, a case for the Irish language made brilliantly by a doctor from town, Dr. Seamus O'Byrne. I'm sure you've heard of him. I know you're an Irish scholar and a fluent Irish speaker. I'm afraid I am not. I have lost it all. And I've lost the courage to, to stagger through it, which is a pity. I must do something about that, but if you know what I mean, um, I, I'm just a bit embarrassed about that. But anyway, I recognise the tremendous importance, and particularly in the case of educating people in Connemara about TB and how to cope with it, which was done, first of all, through the medium of English, which meant nothing. But finally, Dr Seamus O'Byrne from town told people in Irish, the language they understood, the Irish the language of their home about how to protect themselves and what to do if TB was in their area. So what are you writing about, Tom? Uh, Bowling Green is my patch this week in the very heart of Galway. Indeed. Uh, There there are kind of two aspects to Bowling Green. There is the little square that faces onto uh, St. Nicholas's and there is the lane that runs down towards the end of Gate Street, and in my case, it's the lane. The the Bowling Green itself is in the very heart of Galway and goes right back to the beginnings, uh, and that's what I'm writing about, really. But it was often in very bad shape, and in the middle of the 19th century, that was particularly the case. Uh, the corporation, a committee of the corporation, or the Urban Council, as they were then, they brought out uh, a report attacking the state of many of the houses. Uh, we do know that a man named Gunning owned 17 of them oh. in, uh, from mm. the Griff- Griffiths valuations. And this uh, um, report, which is about 30 years later, is essentially an attack on this man and the appalling conditions uh, that um, these, like to suggest that they're habitations for human beings when it, but when a gentleman enters into commercial relations with them on a well-intended, profitable scale to himself, <laughs> yeah. he should meet, not be exempted from the obligation of providing them with accommodation somewhat better than Indian wigwams. Oh, my goodness. That's Which was a very Tom. strong yeah. and powerful piece, yeah. Uh, Tom, how did the name Bowling Green, How where did that come from? It sounds... Well, I don't know. I can't find that out. I yeah. We have to assume that there was a Bowling Green there. It appears on very early maps, <coughs> excuse me, on the earliest of maps, uh, but it was known as Sanders Lane, which was a derivation from Alexander's Lane. Uh, part of the old wall of Galway was Alexander's Tower, and I assume it came from that. But as to the name Bowling Green, they think that may have been about 200 years ago, the very beginning of the 19th century, but there obviously was a Bowling Green 
there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the place hasn't changed very much, incidentally. Um, <laughs> like, it, it was nearly always residential, and to this day is. Um, there have obviously been changes, but it's... Um, it's a very attractive and charming little part of old Galway, right mm. in the heart of the city. Yes, I agree. And I love, they did a little bridge onto the um, walkway there, linking up the Salmonweir Bridge, but then they closed it off, which was a pity. I thought there was a lovely little link there. Do you remember it? Yeah, fairly I do recent, indeed. Fairly recent, yeah. I do, I do indeed, <clears throat> yeah. And of course, Pauline Green had a very famous family living there. It did, it did. And... <clears throat> uh, in fact, I don't think I mentioned her this week, no. believe it or not. But uh, yes, <laughs> she, has, she yeah. has brought international fame. You can talk about her. To the, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 she, she certainly is a story for another day. Exactly. But yeah, it, it's, as I say, mostly residential. There were some kind of industrial and commercial places there in the last century. The last one that we would remember, and I certainly remember, was Heaney's Butcher Shop, which was really... Peter Haney and later his son Paul. I mean, there were two absolute old Galway characters. Yes, I remember them. Great, great fun, great yeah, fun, and, uh, and great meat as well. I yeah, have to yeah, say, indeed, indeed. Yeah, well, there was another. The there, there was another great butchers on the corner, of course, Hetridges, uh, which of course, right. still is there, yeah. and they had yeah. their share of characters as well. Tom, I think you might recall. Well, you can sing that. <laughs> you can sing that. Yeah, uh, and, and you kind yeah. of miss these and. These were places where you heard a lot of Galway accents. And True. indeed, probably, going back to your Irish language, a bit of Irish as well. Seamus O'Byrne, incidentally, was the main founder of the Tigard. Uh, I know you'll hear in the folklore that it was MacLeamor, etc., but it wasn't. O'Byrne was the primary mover of, and he wrote plays himself. Yeah. I think yeah. I did know that, actually. Yes. Um, that was later on. He began oh, was, yeah. life as a dispensary doctor in Linan and Clonbur. And, of course, he was dealing with people through the, the medium of Irish, which he spoke fluently. Um, you know the story of his play on Doctor, do you, Tom? You probably yeah, yeah. do. I this, was about, yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, you no, tell it there, because Trump, it's, no, a, no, it's a lovely no. story of how <laughs> he, aware that medicine was being taught through the medium of English in all the dispensaries throughout the West, and Connemara in particular, and uh, he wrote this brilliant play. Now, brilliant in the sense that it, it really set bells ringing because he wrote about um, an English-speaking doctor who was sent out to somewhere out in the wilds of Little Mullen uh, to open a dispensary and to deal with the patients who only spoke Irish and he only spoke English. And uh, a very amusing, entertaining play resulted. But the point was made that it was disgraceful to send out uh, an important person like a doctor with no local knowledge and could not really understand the aches and pains of the poor people that came to see him. Yeah, yeah. Well, curiously, my, my GP, Colum, Dr. Colin Walsh, is from Liverpool. <coughs> <laughs> and he was sent to Carroll. Oh, splendid. But he, he, as it happens, he is now absolutely fluent in Irish, as he is in English as lovely, well. Lovely, lovely. But uh, I think he had a smattering, and obviously... At but by the time he got to Carraro, most people in Carraro could understand a certain amount of English anyway. Yeah. But uh, it, it was 
a similar type situation, really. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was certainly a lesson learned. But of course, when poor old uh, Seamus O'Byrne was there, TB was at, at a most appalling stage. And, yeah. you know, uh, when you think of it, in the ravages of the flu epidemic that came in 1919, the, the, T, the curse of TB, known as the White Plague, was always yes. there. So, I mean... Imagine dealing with those two terrible uh, epidemics at the time. But yeah. anyway, uh, O'Byrne was brilliant. Uh, he set up uh, a series of lectures where he talked about uh, the human body and he talked about uh, how we can insulate our house the best we can, how the, we should open windows, how we should, um, uh, you know, be careful when we're treating when somebody in the family has TB. The trouble was, Tom, if, if you, as you probably know, if you did, if a family had TB, they were kind of ostracized. People were afraid. There was a shame attached to it. Yeah. There was a shame Stig- attached a stigma, to it a stigma, because yeah, it was associated yeah. with poverty as well. And yeah. unfortunately, when I gather from Seamus O'Byrne, was that a lot of these cabins there was no windows. There were no windows that could be opened. No, that's uh, right. There was a very bad chimney system and. The little, you know, brucely of the TB would remain large sometimes for generations. But his most outrageous feat was he burnt down some houses. When he reckoned that the TB was there for a generation after generation, he got permission to burn down their house. The most yeah. drastic action you can imagine. Yes, he was a very courageous man. Wasn't he? I oh, know. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, um, I know that uh, in my article I refer to the surgeons in St. Vincent's in Dublin were also very concerned about TB and especially in the tenements in Dublin. Sadly brought there probably by some of the immigrants from rural Ireland but nevertheless uh, their opinion was that, that to burn down a house was remarkable but they consoled themselves by saying that if we burnt down the tenements that had TB we'd be burning down half of Dublin half of Dublin of course they would yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was an appalling disease and uh, <clears throat> well we're so grateful really to <clears throat> Noel Brown and and Strepsomycin uh, yeah, a yeah, miracle exactly. drug that came on um, yeah. around the time of O'Byrne actually they were beginning to isolate what TB actually was um, yeah. you know there were some very brave uh, doctors in the late 19th century that were you know beginning to isolate that this thing you know was spread first of all by being too near somebody uh, by you know if somebody breathing on you there was a bad habit of people spitting spit would contain uh, whatever germ it was that could pass it on but particularly the you know the lack of ventilation the suffocation almost within these little cabins that were built airtight to be warm and uh, unfortunately yeah. they trapped within yes. it the bacillus yeah. of the exactly. uh, TB yeah, it was a terrible affliction, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway... But Noel, oh, Noel Brown put a finish to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, An extraordinary yeah, yeah. man. 
Yeah, and he had access to a very strange thing, Tom. I don't know if you remember it, to the Irish sweepstakes. Do you remember the Irish sweepstakes? I do, indeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know one or two shops that, in fact, were agents for the sweepstakes, yeah. and they would receive every so often uh, a sort of a big parcel of entries, usually from the States. Yes, that's right. Spending money very bravely. Yeah. Whether they yeah. ever won any money or not, I don't know. But, um, Nor I, but uh, certainly... <laughs> I never heard of anybody money. winning the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> yeah. but, but they were always willing to have a go. I mean, it was the original yeah. lotto, really. In it this was, country. it was. And yeah. it raised yeah. money for the hospitals. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Brown got access to that money and he started a massive hospital and sanatoria build throughout yes. Ireland, especially in Galway. We, yeah, we, I mean, we, Merlin Park is a great legacy of his. Totally, and the regional and, hospital. And people really? who were there yeah. at the time as patients remember him coming in. Do they really? And chatting to them, yeah, yeah. and he used to bring with him oranges. Oh. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal today, but it was a huge deal in those days. Yeah. Because a lot of these patients had never seen an orange. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it was healthy and it, it represented hope and so on, you know. But he, he mixed with, freely mixed with the patients there. Yeah. Uh, which again was very courageous of him. Yeah. yeah. He was, and he was a young man, you see. But his family, as far as I remember, suffered very badly from TB. In fact, he had it himself. He uh, did, yeah, he did, yeah. So he yeah. would have known everything. And he always looked like he had it. Even oh, he did. His the old gaunt, age, yeah. The yeah. gauntness yeah. of that man, big, tall, That's gaunt right. man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and in fact, the way he spoke, it was kind of like a, a throaty whisper. Yeah, yeah. When he spoke, uh, yeah. but by you listened when he spoke. Yeah, there's a very good portrait of him. Um, do you know about that? Is it in the regional hospital at the moment? I'm not sure where it is. Um, there's one in the National Gallery, in the National Portrait Gallery, because I sold it to them. Oh, well done. It took it took, it took me about six months. <clears throat> And who, who painted they, it? They kept knocking it down. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. A D Dublin painter um, whose name has gone straight out of my head, but I'll think <coughs> of it in a moment. Mm -hmm. It was a remarkable portrait. It was cruciform in shape. <coughs> Excuse oh. me. And we had it in a major exhibition I've seen in, it. I've in seen 1990. It. Yeah. yeah. I've and it is it. now in the National Portrait. Bobby Bella was the artist. Okay, well, well done. Robert yes. Bella. Yes. And. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they kept uh, oh, trying to <laughs> deal with them and it was a nightmare. Yeah. They kept knocking the price down. They kept appealing to your patriotism, to the fact oh, that your, yeah. your painting was going to be in a national collection, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I, I was the intermediary. I kept going back to the artist and back yeah. to the gallery and back to the artist. But yeah. anyway, yeah. it's in the right and proper place, by the yeah. way. It, it was a very, very important painting. Well done. There was a particular fondness, I think, for Brown in the west of Ireland, wasn't there? There was a feeling, Absolutely. you yeah. know, because, as you say, of Merlin Park and the rebuilding and the, the building of the regional hospital, um, there was that feeling that he was, you know, a man that really did some great good in this yes. part of the world. That, you know, That's had, right. And also you know, that 
stood up to our bishop at the time, uh, who was all powerful, really. And yeah. the other factor, of course, with Noel Brown is that he went to live in Connemara. He went to live amongst the people there. Yeah. And uh, and spoke in Irish to them as well. So he was an Irish speaker, was he, Tom? Oh yeah. So there was respect, absolute respect there. You're quite right. Mm. That's lovely.